0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Bluebell Studios of Bob Long Sports to the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long, and Kevin McLernan here this evening. So excited to bring you another edition of Villanova Basketball Report. This should be a great show here tonight as we talk about a team that all of a sudden, guys, is back on track for a possible Big East regular season championship, something that a week ago looked far out of the question. Nova took care of business against Marquette. A game they were down five late, came all the way back, didn't allow a, a a bucket by Marquette in the last four to five minutes of that game, ended up winning by six. Then a big win against Butler and a game that they looked really good in for the vast majority of it. Marquette having trouble with the turnovers, lost the game they shouldn't have this weekend after losing to Villanova. All of a sudden, Villanova, Marquette tied in the loss column. Villanova with just one more game to go in Big East play. Marquette with two. And the season, which has been disjointed and choppy, essentially, from the beginning, now begins to look on the up and up.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the performance of Jermaine Samuels in that Marquette game was just astounding. Something that none of us ever expected, as you see... On our whiteboard here, the amount of three-point attempts that Jermaine uh, had in that game compared to the rest of his Big East play, uh, those numbers were just astounding. So it just shows you how this team can get a contribution on any given night from any given person. But then again, at the same time, uh, in that Butler game, Jermaine Samuels went back to more of the same. Fairly irrelevant once again. So you just never know what you're going to get from this team. They're they're very streaky right now. I still fear the day that Phil Booth and Eric Paschal go cold and that's sort of what we saw the last couple of weeks. Colin Gillespie has been somewhat irrelevant the past couple of weeks as well. Not playing as well either. So uh, you know, Phil Booth and Eric Pascal really need to continue to pick up this load for this team. Uh, and they had a very nice week in the past week, which showed for, for this Villanova team.
0: That's Kevin Long. Next up, Kevin McLernan. But we're going to get back to some of the things that you talked about, because I think we, we disagree slightly on a few of those points. But Kevin McLernan, let's get you in here. What's your thoughts on what you saw in the past couple weeks?
2: Well, I think we clearly got the answer that Samuels doesn't have the red light, uh, even though we don't don't really know what he has um, I mean, you can't have a red light and shoot thirteen threes in a game and, what, 17 overall, something like that. Um, but it was nice to see him. I mean, we we had a question whether he can shoot or not, and he clearly still can. Um, so you just got to have the confidence, I guess.
0: Back to the studio here in Blue Bell. Kevin's joining us, of course, from Baltimore, as he always does. Uh, so, Kevin, you mentioned that you thought Jermaine went back to being irrelevant against Butler, and maybe the seven-point line would tell you that. Um, and also, you know, that Phil Booth, Eric Pascal, their off nights are going to cost Villanova. In both of those points, I have a, a little bit of a bone to pick there because let's start with Jermaine Samuels. We're going to talk about this on the whiteboard as well. Jermaine Samuels, by virtue of what he did against Marquette, forced Butler to guard him in a different way. And because Butler guarded him in a different way, He was able to space the floor. Phil Booth was single coverage a little bit more than he normally has been, at least in recent weeks when other teams didn't need to think about Jermaine Samuels as a shooting threat. And as a result, that opened up Phil Booth to really the tremendous scorer that he is and has been. And we can talk about has he been selfish over the course of the year. Uh, I think the answer to that is yes, but it's complicated as well because unless you're finding Sadiq Bae, who's more than happy to shoot, there are guys that just wouldn't shoot the basketball, would play catch, hot potato, right back to Phil Booth, and he's got to do something with it. So, you know, my thought on the Butler game, did Jermaine Samuels go back to being irrelevant, I suppose, to an extent if you look just at that box score, but I thought the threat to shoot was still there, even though he only let one three go, and uh, and that allowed Phil Booth to be a lot more effective. Eric Pascal too, five for 11, a bit more efficient than he had been uh, there's obviously something where we're not going to pin everything about the success of Phil Booth and Eric Pascal onto the shoulders of what Jermaine Samuels does. However, against Marquette, Phil Booth, 3 for 18. Why? Because they committed doubles on him all night long. He's still going to get the volume of shots up no matter what, but they were leaving Jermaine Samuels wide open on high ball action. Samuels, fortunate to take advantage. Against Butler, they had to play more straight up. And play it more honestly, defensively.
1: Yeah, clearly in the first matchup, Marquette saw what Villanova was doing with Jermaine Samuels. They saw that they weren't using him to his full capability, and they really just didn't even play him. They they really were they stayed off. Um, and to Jay Wright's credit, in the second matchup, he saw that. You know, he noticed that that's the way they were playing. They were giving Jermaine his space because they knew that he was not looking to shoot really ever. We've talked about it several times on this show. Uh, so, to Jay's credit and then to Jermaine's credit for playing so well, uh, that really changed the way that that entire game was played against Marquette last week. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, when Butler came in on Sunday or on Saturday, all of a sudden they had the game plan for Jermaine Samuels and that that does open the floor up for the rest of the guys. Uh, so, you know, that impact is certainly felt and, uh, you know, Jermaine was looking to drive to the basket a little more than normal. Um, I mean, I think he put up one three point shot in that game. So, uh, you know, still not a huge improvement there, but like you said, Butler was playing him a little bit tougher. Uh, that opens up the lanes for some other guys, you know, especially Phil Booth and Eric Paschal. Um, so the effect of Jermaine's game against Marquette is certainly felt. Uh, I don't think he's going to go back to that guy that he was earlier in the season that was immediately looking to pass and, you know, would not shoot or even dribble at that rate. Um, I think we're going to continue to see this Jermaine Samuels, but you're going to see now teams are game planning for Jermaine Samuels. They know what he can do. uh, And I don't think you're going to ever see a performance like that from Jermaine Samuels in the near future because teams are going to game plan for him like that. Kevin McLernan, your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I think like Kevin said, especially if he keeps shooting that outside, they'll they'll respect it more. And we've seen how explosive Samuels can be in the lane, especially early in the year. Uh, so I think he can be especially more effective if they, he starts getting pump fakes um, and the players to jump on them.
0: This is the Villanova basketball report live here on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Kevin Long, and Kevin McClernand. And guys, the the other thing I wanted to talk about tonight is the defense of the Villanova Wildcats because. This team, over the course of the year, has really struggled defensively. They started to find themselves. Then they started to struggle again. And really, in the last few weeks, even including the losses, the defense, I think has been average to to above average. And the reason, and we're going to talk about this in a portion of the whiteboard as well, is their ability to help defend. They're not the best on-ball team in terms of guarding the basketball and guarding a driver to the basket. Colin Gillespie, he's a guy who can get beat off a a dribble from a primary ball handler. But he's tremendous in terms of sliding underneath and either stopping an already-driving offensive player as a secondary defender or stepping in and taking a charge. We've seen that from Joe Cremo as well, probably the only serviceable part of his defensive game. And we saw it a lot against Marquette being able to slide in against Marcus Howard, a guy who loves to get by his initial defender and then hang and hit these floaters. Well, listen, his body control wasn't particularly good on Wednesday night. Villanova noticed that in film session, and they were able to take advantage. Marcus Howard, three of offensive fouls of the four fouls that he picked up in that game. And then I just want to talk as well about how Villanova's gotten beat from the perimeter defense at times with their defense in terms of scrambling around, havoc-type half-court set where you're sending two guys to one player and then trying to recover to the outside. In recent weeks, it's been very good. It was great against Butler. They forced 17 turnovers against Marquette, and a lot of that is because their ability to bring a second defender on at times, play decent on-ball defense, but allow that help defense to really define that effort over a 30-second offensive play for the opponent.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the defense has, has stepped it up quite a bit. Um and I wanna go back to Jermaine Samuels on this as well. So this team has struggled to to find a, a big man that you know, Demir cosby roundtree not necessarily the big man they're looking for. Not a whole lot of offensive games. So uh, Jermaine Samuels is kind of the de facto guy who's guarding the other centers in these games. Uh, struggled with that early. Found himself in a lot of foul trouble early. But seems to have really figured that out in the past couple of weeks. He's done a good job keeping himself in the game out of foul trouble. Uh, he's had a good, uh, done a good job of stopping the other big man. Uh, so I just want to give him a little credit there as well even before he found himself offensively against Marquette, he was contributing in some really big ways on the defensive end uh, that has really helped propel this team. I mean, you know, They've struggled all year. We're going to see it in the NCAA tournament. We all know it's coming. It feels like 2017 all over again, they're going to struggle if they have a, a big man that they can't defend. So they need a guy like Jermaine to really be the rock down there for them defensively.
0: And he's a tremendous rebounder as well again an undersized type four or a stretch three a guy that can go in there get in the midst and we saw it when we had the discussion with Derek Gerberich at StatHouse Analytics earlier in the year you know on a by minute basis he's one of the best rebounders on the team if not the best and the team as a unit rebounds better while he's on the floor there's something to be said about that Kevin let's get you back in on this conversation
2: yeah, I wanted to bring up the foul trouble also. In the beginning of the year, especially the big guys, Pascal, it seemed like one of those three, Samuels, Pascal or Roundtree, was going to get into foul trouble when they were asking Sadiq to cover th- uh, fours, basically. Uh, which, I mean, especially as a freshman, true freshman, it's really difficult to do in the beginning of the year uh, with a guy like his size. So I think them staying, those three big guys staying out of foul trouble, playing effective defense has been huge, uh, especially in Big East play.
1: I think the other thing we've seen from Sadiq too is just a lot of the, the freshman pains, trying to figure out when to switch, where to switch. It's something that we've talked about at times painstakingly so sorry if I about may that. reference the pen game. Yeah. And uh, the pen
0: show. The pen
1: show. Possession yeah. by
0: possession. Every possession in the second half and Don't the nine times that he made mistakes. <laughs> we
1: we all remember.
0: <laughs>
1: um, But, yeah, exactly. So he's gotten himself into a lot of foul trouble with that in the past. Still not great. You see it at times, not as often as we have in the past. So he's getting better at it. Uh, But, yeah, Sadiq and and Jermaine stepping up defensively, guarding those bigs has really been a huge help for this team.
0: So in order to avoid groupthink, might as well throw out there what we got for a comment on Facebook. Ryan Lennox who does the studio hosting on 610 Sports for Villanova Basketball, saying that the defense is questionable at best. So he disagrees with what we're we're seeing recently. Um, So again, I'm happy to take a step back, but what, what I've seen, even against Marquette, they were shooting over 50%, and that is, as Ryan would say, questionable. But the 17 turnovers that they elicited from Marquette really defined that basketball game. Listen, when Villanova shoots 35% and wins the game against the top 10 team in the country and doesn't score 70 points, I'm going to credit the defense there. And then from a Butler perspective, they shoot 38% and look thoroughly confused at times. But when Villanova gets beaten, this is my opinion on it, but when Villanova gets beat, they look bad doing it. Because they run that, again, Havoc type, almost as if it's a VCU full court, but it's In the half court where they're running a second defender at guys. And then if another team is able to move the basketball around the outside perimeter uh, quickly enough, they can create good shots for themselves. But Villanova is banking on, one, getting a turnover first. Two, the other team not being able to move it crisply enough. And three, if they are, being able to recover and then contest on the closeout. Uh, at times it looks bad, at times when they were really good in winning national championships it looks bad. But I think they're doing well enough. And again, even in some of the games that they've lost in the second part of the second half, they've fallen off. But generally speaking, this is a team that has been good in the second half and has closed out games. I think of Georgetown a few weeks ago, prior to the one where Georgetown was able to close out Villanova. I think about Seton Hall, et cetera. I think of Creighton at Creighton. Uh, there were a lot of games this year where Villanova was 10 minutes left in the game, tied, down a few points, and was able to close out those games convincingly. Defense is a big reason why. So uh, I'll say I respectfully disagree with Ryan, but but interested to see what he comes back with on Facebook. Yeah,
1: Perhaps. and I think uh, to your point about Villanova losing, and when they do so, they lose badly. It just it feels like they're desperate when they're losing, right? We've talked about it so much all, all over the show all year that this team really has two players that's stepping up at the moment. It's you know it's Phil Booth and it's Eric Paschal, and when one or both of those guys go cold, especially when it's Phil Booth, it just it feels desperate and you feel like Phil is forcing the ball up. Mm-hmm. He's forcing early shots and, you know, contested shots, threes way behind the three-point line, you know, just not good shots. And you know, Other teams are coming away on breakaways, scoring quickly, and the game just kind of spirals out of control with that over and over again. It's sort of a snowball effect, and it feels more forced, and Phil goes down and chucks up another three. So I think that's why you see – them losing badly sometimes when they do lose. And I think that's why they, they went on this run. You know, we had this run where Phil was not particularly playing well. He, you know, was throwing up a lot of bad shots and, and forcing the action a little bit too much. Didn't quite find his rhythm over the past couple of weeks, but now he's, he's starting to settle in. Uh, you know, Found a guy in Jermaine Samuels to pick up the slack and sort of take the pressure off of him, and then it just felt like that flowed right into the Butler game where everyone was a little bit more confident. So really I think Jermaine Samuels' performance at, at Marquette there was able to slow the game down for everybody a little bit and make everybody feel a little bit more confident in what they're doing.
0: Let's also call it what it is, and this is a Villanova team that left—four uh, guys left for the NBA, I should say. Yes, they have two seasoned veterans in Phil Booth, Eric Pascal. but beyond that, Jermaine Samuels, again, we're really hard on him on this show. But I think it's because he's so important to this team, and his delta— Is wider than the Pacific Ocean at times, it seems, whether he's taken 13 threes or he's taken 11 combined threes all Big East season coming into that game where he took 13. That's one of those things where being able to space the floor, having the veteran leadership, and having consistent play is such a struggle. Demir cosby Roundtree. he can be a great rebounder. He can also commit a really dumb foul 90 feet from the basket. You know, Colin Gillespie, he can be a great shooter, or he can dribble too deep and then get himself into trouble, turn the basketball over. Joe Cremo, yes, he's a senior, but his first year with the program, playing more like a sophomore, which you might expect from a sophomore, hasn't been consistent from the on the arc. Defense has been suspect. Sadiq Bay has played like I would call him more like a junior than anything else at times in terms of his willingness to shoot the basketball but he hasn't been proficient enough from beyond the arc. And this is a team that won a national championship and graduated zero players. Zero. I mean, they did graduate, but there was eligibility left for all four of those guys, and they decided to take their talents to the NBA, as every one of them had the right to do, and I think at the end of the day probably made the right decision to do. But this is a Villanova program that hasn't had a guy leave early since Kyle Lowry before that. Um, uh, Michael Bradley I, I know that Wayans and Cheek left but not for NBA opportunities so these are NBA caliber players four of them leaving at a given time not something that this Nova program has experienced before it's a really young program and they're number 23 in the country you know they've had uh, a very down start to the year had a great start 9-0 in Big East play hit a little bit of a rut it happens they're young kids but now here they are, rounding into form at the end of the year. I don't know if that form is good enough for, say, an elite eight run, but I do believe that if they are able to earn a six seed or a seven seed. You know they can certainly draw a favorable three in a potential second round game, a favorable two in a potential third round game. And you just never know. Uh, college basketball, who's really good this year? And so Villanova, it's going to be a timing thing. It's going to be a a veteran leadership thing. Can they be ready to go for tournament time? But again, I think we need to take a step back as well as we have these discussions and realize that what we're talking about, Jermaine Samuels, Demir Cosby, Roundtree, Colin Gillespie, all
1: being keys. These are three sophomores that we're talking about. And it's still a very young team. And nobody that was necessarily brought in to be a contributor this early. Like you said, You know, to some extent, Jay expected to lose McHale and Jalen Brunson after this year, but at no point I don't think Jay considered that he was going to lose Omari Spellman or Dante DiVincenzo. So those were two big surprises. Those were two huge voids to fill. You know, if those guys were still here, then you're looking at a really strong starting five. You got, you know, Omari Spellman and Dante DiVincenzo to go with Phil Booth and Eric Paschal, and then you have... You know, Colin Gillespie sprinkled in there. Jermaine Samuels sprinkled in there. as a sixth, seventh man to contribute. You know, you're talking about a top 10 team again. You're talking about another national title contender just with two of the four guys returning. So uh, obviously, this this team is still trying to pick up the pieces from losing those four players to the NBA, uh, and they're they're still doing all right doing so. Right? You know, consistently in the top 25. Been in and out this year, but for the most part has been in it. Um, so you know, it's an impressive that this, this program is at a state where it can, uh, you know, withstand losing four guys in one year to the NBA.
0: Struggling with the segues here tonight, but it's a great discussion here in the studio. Let's send it down to Baltimore. Kevin McLernan, your general reactions, thoughts on that discussion.
2: Uh, well, just to go back to losing the four guys, I think it's funny. If, if Jalen Brunson never gets in foul trouble at the end of, during the national championship game, DiVincenzo is 100%, I, I think, still a Villanova because I don't think he goes off for 31 points in that championship game. Uh, but also going back to the defense to play devil's advocate against Bob's comment that they, the defense has been, been playing well enough. I mean, been playing well enough against the Big East competition. We're going to see how, that, uh, how good the defense is when they start playing out of the conference again.
0: So continue that for me.
2: I mean, we, we know how weak the Big East has been this year, and who knows, they only might get two teams. So, I mean, we'll see if they can... Um, Play as well as they have been against better teams, hmm. better competition. Okay, not a big
0: East guy down there in Baltimore. I, I listen, I get it. It hasn't been the strongest league, uh, league this year,
2: and but... we see Marcus Howard go what thirty-five points in the first game against them.
0: Sure, sure. You're right. You're absolutely right. And he's one of the top three or four players in the entire country. Uh, that's at least how I would look at it from a scoring perspective. But listen, you know, not to go on a crusade for the Big East here. Yes. The team is, uh, the conference is extremely balanced, and there's a lot of teams around 500, and that's going to hurt the league. But are you really telling me that if somebody draws St. John's as an 11 or 12 seed, that that team's not going to be feeling a, a little bit uncomfortable there? That they wouldn't rather a mid major or something to that extent? You know, they are talent, Creighton, they just beat Marquette. Could they be developing a late stage run towards a? At-large bid, and would a, you know, a five-seed like to see Creighton? I don't know. I, I tend to think the league is a little bit stronger than the parity might indicate.
2: For me, not offensively-wise. I think the, the league overall is stronger defensively.
0: Okay,
1: fair enough. Kevin Long? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is one of the stronger Big East year. Obviously, no last year, uh, you know, with Xavier and Villanova right at the top two number one seeds, it was uh, really a banner year in terms of the new Biggie structure since everything, uh, all the realignment a few years ago. Um, but I, I would have to agree to this it's a little bit weaker. Uh, I wouldn't want to face uh, Marquette and Marcus Howard at any point. I think that's a scary matchup to any team because Marcus Howard is a tough guard for for anybody in, in the entire country. So, um, I, you know, in terms of – the top teams, sure. I would have to agree that this is not one of the the better years. But I think top to bottom, you're you're looking at uh, one of the better um, one of the better years for this league in terms of you, know, you don't have that DePaul that's generally at the bottom feeder and it's an easy win. I don't think there are any easy wins right now in the Big East. I think every team is competitive. You have teams like Providence and DePaul at the bottom, and and they're playing pretty well. So. Uh, in terms of tournament teams, yeah, I, I think, you know, to get three in would be good at this point. Four would would be a little surprising. That would mean a team like Creighton uh, would make a run in the tournament, in the Big East tournament. Um, so, yeah, you're not going to see that many uh, teams from the Big East in the, in the NCAA tournament this year. Interesting.
2: Or it's- even win the tournament, too. Say that again, Kev? Or even win the tournament. Obviously, if Nova or Marquette doesn't win the tournament, then they get the automatic bit.
0: Right. Well, sure. Absolutely. And in a 10-team league, it's very, very easy to envision a situation where Villanova and Marquette, especially given the recent inconsistency on both sides, don't win that tournament. Totally agree. 100%. So that, folks, was the opening tip here on the Villanova Basketball Report and kind of the body of the show as we talk about but. Lot more good stuff coming your way. In fact, if you're ready, Kevin Long, might be time for cat in the wild if you have one.
1: Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my cat in the wild this week comes to us from the NBA again. Uh, one of the somewhat recent graduates of Villanova, uh, this guy led the Villanova 2016 national championship team. Uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, one of Jay Wright's. Uh, you know, favorite players to come through the program, a guy that really embodies the Villanova basketball program, and that's Ryan Archie Diacono. You know, he's had a tough time of it, uh, you know, undrafted coming out of college. Uh he played all four years at Villanova. He was always a little bit undersized, not necessarily the quickest guy, he didn't necessarily have the best shot in the world, uh, but has really found his way in Chicago this past year. Uh, obviously they acquired Chris Dunn from the Timberwolves over the off offseason uh, he's been the guy for them he's been their point guard but uh, he's been in and out of the lineup with an injury but uh, Archie has really kind of taken over in his absence in the past couple of games in the past uh, week uh, in three games he's scored uh, an average of 11 points uh, he's averaging about three assists per game, uh, grabbing a couple of rebounds here and there, but good to see him consistently scoring double digits. Just a guy that you didn't really think was going to make it at the NBA level. And uh, we're excited here to see him having some level of success at the NBA, showing that he can do it and, you know, hopefully building upon that success.
0: You know, we talk a lot about that senior class that – brought them to the 2016 National Championship. Daniel Ochefu, Ryan Archidiakono, of course. Ryan is your cat in the wild here today. I know you mentioned Daniel Ochefu on an earlier show. He continues to tear it up as well. He does. And it's pretty cool to see that class that really wasn't fitting to have any true NBA prospects getting into it. Now, Ochefu's still in the D-League, but... He's throwing up 30 points at a, a fairly semi-regular clip. It, it appears, at mm-hmm. least from the highlight videos I'm seeing, it seems as if he's pretty much a beast at the D League level.
1: Yeah, he's he's doing some real good things at the D League level. That's just a tough position, you know. The NBA is really looking for that stretch five, you know. They they even want those guys to to shoot the three, you know, like the Jaw and be the DeMarcus Cousins. Those of the world. Uh, you know, Daniel Ochefu is nowhere near to developing any kind of a game like that. Uh, so I, I hope that he's able to translate that into some NBA success. But like you said, yeah, he's having a lot of success in the Kings organization, uh, in the G League right now. So hope to see those guys both continue to succeed.
0: And this is why it's great to have Kevin McClernand on as well whenever we talk about a guy in the NBA He's also our resident NBA expert on the Pick and Roll podcast, which you can listen to on SoundCloud through boblongsports.com Kevin, your thoughts on these two cats from the class of 2016?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, Ochefu's uh, playing great in the, in the G League right now. Is I mean, that Kings organization has so much depth at that position that he probably won't be able to move up. Uh, in that organization. But I mean, any other team, especially coming down the stretch here where teams start sitting players, uh, cause they're resting them, trying not to get injured slash tanking. Um, <laughs> I mean, he could get, he could get signed, play some minutes in the NBA. And, uh, like you said, Arch is playing for Chicago. They're not trying to win games and, uh, Dunn has been injured also. So, I mean, he's done a very good job for that team, uh, playing really well.
0: It's good stuff. This is the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on BLS. Bob Long, Kevin Long here in the studio. Kevin McLernan is down in Baltimore. We're going to take a quick break and come back on the other side. We have a great whiteboard segment coming your way tonight here, folks. We're going to talk more about Jermaine Samuels and how even when he's not shooting three, when the threat is there, how that affects not him but his other teammates. I know two weeks ago we addressed how Jermaine shooting the basketball changes things for the Cats, and how he needs to be more aggressive. Now we're going to talk about how he is opening things up for other guys, even when he's missing shots. And then, of course, we're going to talk about that half-court havoc-type defense that Villanova is known for and how they've been successful in recent weeks and how, as they build towards a stretch run here, they need to refine things slightly as well. One of our favorite segments coming up next. Stay with us. Welcome back inside our Bluebell Studios. This is the Villanova Basketball Report, live on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Kevin Long, and we have Kevin McClernand down in Baltimore. So let's start with Kevin McClernand on this one, because I know for one, uh, we have one of your big segments coming up, and two, wanted to get your thoughts on the um, V's and O's segment that we just did.
2: Yeah, I mean, you kind of pointed out some of the the things I'm worried about uh, when they do face those uh, out-of-conference guys, um, especially with the pick-and-rolls that we've seen uh, Cosby Roundtree get in so much trouble with early in the year. Um, But, I mean, Samuels has improved throughout the year, um, and if he's able to continue to play as well as he has on the defensive end, I think uh, he'll be very effective in the defensive end.
0: So should we do our most fun – Segment from Kevin McLernan's desk in Baltimore.
2: Wait, which one? There's so many, there's so many fun ones. Which one do you want to do?
0: Uh you want to do the trivia?
2: Alright, let's do the trivia. Um we'll start with what school started the tradition of cutting down nets? Wow. I have absolutely
0: yeah. no idea. I I have no
1: idea it was as in well. Um, 1947 it was started. 1947, Well, this this is a shot in the dark just because they are playing Seton Hall. I'm gonna say Seton Hall. Maybe trying to tie it back together here.
2: Bob, you got a guess?
1: Oh, um, no,
0: I'm not. Uh, actually, you know what? I will. Uh, um, no, I'm not.
2: Okay. <laughs> Uh, no, I wasn't trying to connect anything together. It was NC State in 1947. They won their conference championship, and they cut down the nets.
0: Interesting.
2: Um, what player uh, for Big East team? So it's not Big East games. It's games total in their college career at, uh, that played for a Big East team. How many, or who has played the most career games? Ooh, I'll, give you, I'll tell you that Hart and Jenkins finished at 146, and this was one behind the record.
0: Uh and I'm sorry, did you say it was all games combined? Correct.
1: All games combined. So okay, this is not this is throughout their entire career. Games played.
2: Yeah, so Hart and Jenkins played 146 games in their career, and the, the leader, the career leader has 147.
1: Okay. Hmm. I'll I'll throw out a, a guess. I'll go with uh Dewan Blair from Pitt. Okay. Um
0: I do like that guess. I'm going to stick with a Pitt guy because they went to the Big East championship game all those years, but they really didn't go very far in the tournament. Boy, this is difficult. I do like that era, though. Why don't I just do it? Brendan Knight.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is a recent guy, but not on Pitt. On Syracuse, Brandon Trish played 147 career games.
0: That's a good name right there. That's a good name. And –
2: Phil Booth is at 142 right now, so 143, completing the regular season, and then he has the uh, t- conference tournament and then regular tournament to get four more games to tie him.
0: You know, it's a great mm-hmm. point, Kevin, because he played three games in the year that he redshirted. Correct. And so that could
1: be the difference, combined with two conference championships, two national championships. Yep. It's a recipe for success there. It should be interesting. Especially right. in that particular trivia question. Yeah.
2: And then uh last trivia question, who uh is the single season leader in points per game for the Big East?
0: Okay. Single season leader. Hmm. I assume I have it's... a guess first. Mm-hmm. Or... No, I, I don't. I'm I'm thinking. Good live TV. <laughs> Great live TV.
2: Yeah, it's it is pretty recent. So yeah, I lo- I looked back because I was shocked that uh, Patrick Ewing wasn't even he never averaged twenty points per game, which was shocked to me. But
1: wow, hmm, how recent are we talking here?
2: Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to think of some of the great scores. Uh, if McBucket's, if McBucket's played here for four
2: years. It's just it's one season.
0: His, it's one season. Oh, McBuckets.
2: Yeah, it's, it's McDermott. Okay. And I think he only played his senior year in the biggies, correct?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. How about that? So, yeah.
2: Creighton 2013-2014. good question. Doug McDermott. And that's all the trivia I got. But there's more. There is more. There's the games this week. Uh, we have tomorrow night, Texas at Texas Tech. Texas Tech favored by seven and a half. These are not, these first two games are their lines, not my lines.
0: Gotcha. I'm going to take Texas, uh, because I've been taking, I'm sorry. I've been giving the points and been getting burned all season long. <laughs> so I'm going to take the points, Texas. Hook. Em. okay, cool. Hook em.
1: <laughs> Yes. little Tom Herman. Love it. Um, I'll go with Texas tech. Um, I mean, I, I think they've been playing well over the past couple of weeks. They're a really strong team, uh, you know. Really strong bet in the Big 12. Maybe to unseat Kansas this year, but we'll see. Texas Tech. Let's,
2: let's, let's hope. So uh, I'm going
0: strategy cotton. Let's <laughs> see if it works out for him.
2: I'm going with Texas Tech also uh, to cover the seven and a half. And That's side note, Zaire strategy Smith.
0: Strategy cotton. Let's see if it works out for him.
2: <laughs> Zaire Smith is playing for the Delaware Bluecoats. So finally, uh, he's playing in sort of the NBA.
0: Got it. Got it. And that's your reasoning for picking Texas Tech. Good stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, Jared Culver.
2: J- Jared Culver, I'm really surprised how big of a jump he's made this year, though.
0: Yep. Solid player for sure.
1: Very, very good.
2: Another Tuesday night game. Virginia Tech at Florida State. Florida State is favored by four.
0: Uh, Virginia Tech outright. Is that it? Love Bud. Love Buzz Williams. Don't love Le- Le- Lou. Hey, what's his name? Leonard <laughs> Hamilton's squad. Don't love
1: Leonard Hamilton squad. Love Buzz Williams squad. Give me the hoax, outright. Yeah, not not big on Florida State this year. Been an up and down team. Uh, you know, we saw them earlier in the season, Villanova. That is, uh, I wasn't all that impressed with them. Uh, I think I like Virginia Tech in this one at least to cover.
2: Yeah, I'm taking Virginia Tech. Also, sign so I think it's like the third time I've put Florida State. And I think bo- both of you have picked against them all three times. So. Um, you guys are really not big fans of Florida State.
0: Not big fan. Not,
2: not big fan. Uh, well, uh, then these are my lines. We got Duke at UNC. This is Saturday, so still unsure whether Zion is going to play or not. They were Duke was nine-and-a-half point favorites earlier, so I'm going to put them as two-and-a-half point favorites at UNC on Saturday.
1: I'm going to take Duke in that case. I'm going to stick with UNC or uh, yeah, UNC Duke hasn't been the same team without Zion, you know, a couple guys stepping up there, uh, playing well for him, but you know, with Zion either not playing or not a hundred percent at UNC, I, I'm going to take UNC in that one.
2: Yeah, I'm going to take UNC also. I, I mean, even if he comes back, like you said, Kevin, I'm not sure if he's going to be a hundred percent. I mean, I mean, his explosiveness is all of his game and, or not all of his game, but a big part of his game. So Not sure how effective he can be if it's his first game back and uh, really not
0: 100%. This one feels to me like a game, not that I'm trying to convince you guys, but this one feels like a game where everybody is going to be picking UNC. They smoked them last time, exactly what you said about Zion, and a lot of times those are the games where something else can happen. and. What did I say about Florida State? I sometimes feel similarly about a Roy Williams coached team, that sometimes they just don't show in some big games. And I do think that they could turn the ball over against this Duke team and get themselves into trouble, whether Zion's 100% healthy or not.
2: That's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, Trey Jones is still coming back. I think I mean he's finally getting back to 100%. I think he's still yep. been a step off, so – uh, maybe he can bet to Undersen also. And then the final game is we got Houston at Cincinnati. Cincinnati favored by one and a half.
1: Houston at Cincy, Kev. Yeah. Uh I'm taking Houston in that one. I, I just think this team, uh this is a very, very good team. Uh you know, they obviously had a, a good year last year, should have probably gone for further if that in that tournament if it wasn't for a late Jordan pool three from Michigan propelling them to victory i have a lot of confidence in this team heading into march uh, and i feel good about them going in and winning this one on the road
0: yeah i think i like them too um but i'm gonna go with my heart over my head and i'm gonna pick the mick cronin coached cincinnati bearcats at the legendary fifth third arena to win that basketball game i think they find a way and i think they cover the spread win the game uh, well, I think this is 4-4-4
2: four four with the Kevins staying together. I am going with Houston. Uh, I, th- I think they're good enough. Then, uh, they're going to win. They beat uh, Cincinnati at home early in the year by six, I believe. So I think they're going to win again uh, at Cincinnati. There you go.
0: And that's the pick for tonight?
2: That is. But I do have the tiebreaker information if we want to talk about that for Villanova and Marquette. Let's do it. So Mar- Villanova is up by a half game right now. Uh, Marquette has two games. So if they do tie, um, deciding the first seed in the Big East tournament goes to a head-to-head record, which we know they tied this year. And then, interestingly enough, it goes to record against the third-place team, Yep, which, yes. which as we know in the Big East is, who knows? Um, <laughs> it's, it could be a lot of teams. So if it's multiple teams, it goes to the overall record against all those teams together. So... Really, Villanova won St. John's to be tied for third, since Marquette lost to them twice. Wow! But
0: also, Marquette lost to Creighton, so if Creighton is yes. in there as well, and who are the yeah. other teams that are up there right now?
2: They're all there. To be honest, I think <laughs> I think every team in the Big East can finish like four through nine possible. Like all the like every team has those possible wow spots, oh,
1: but depaul or providence probably <laughs> i
2: i think they i think they all have six wins right now so really? they could because the third place teams are eight and eight right now
1: so
0: you're saying depaul wouldn't be a uh bad loss for penn state perhaps
2: <sighs> i mean you know it's still well i guess penn state's a bad team so i mean it <laughs> doesn't matter if bad losses or good losses for penn state
0: yeah i just was gently ribbing you there as a uh... Penn State got screwed by another call this weekend at the end of the basketball game. What else is new, Kev?
2: Yeah, they missed layups at the end of the game. Oh, wait, that's not new. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, so that it's going to be like, – but if you look at the Big East standings, they're all right there. It's really interesting. They're all combined. And, um, like you said, they, they have the advantage for if St. John's and Creighton are there uh, since Marquette has the four losses um, – one against Nova, two against St. John's, and then the one against Creighton.
0: Well, and the very interesting thing as well is that one of those losses that you mentioned you know, is not Georgetown, if you're Marquette. And so in order for the tiebreaker to even come to fruition, Marquette would have to be assumed to beat Georgetown on Saturday. Georgetown if... currently is 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, by virtue of that loss... Georgetown would be at least eight and nine plus whatever they do in their other game this week, so Xavier's eight and eight. Saint John's is eight and nine. Seton Hall is seven and nine. But again, if Seton Hall, I guess in theory, beats both Villanova and Marquette, they could get to nine and nine. Otherwise, for this tiebreaker to come to fruition, Seton Hall would have to go seven and eleven, losing to Marquette on Wednesday and losing to Villanova on Saturday. So it does come down to the would-be eight and nine plus one game Georgetown Hoyas, the eight and eight Xavier Musketeers who play neither Villanova nor Marquette. And Villanova would what? What would be the situation there if it were Xavier, Kevin?
2: Just Xavier? Just Xavier. Villanova lost to
0: them once. Did Marquette lose to them? No. Okay, yeah. But Marquette?
2: But if it does also come down to a tie for the third place, if if the teams have the same record against that, it goes to total road wins, which Marquette will win.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Kevin Long, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. It seems like uh, you really just want to keep Xavier out of that top spot, try to get St. John's hopefully into that third spot. Uh, get the three seed or get the the one seed for Villanova, the three seed for Saint John's. But at the end of the day, the way we're talking about this, there's so much parity between three and six. It doesn't even really matter where you're seated at the end of the day in this Big East tournament. You know, uh, if all goes according to plan, these teams will likely be co-Big East regular season champions. Uh, you know, it'll be a tiebreaker to figure out who plays whom at the end of the day, but if they're all already this close, what's the difference? You know, you, right. could, you could end up being one and playing, you know, the team that's four that would have been three if you were two. So right. uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't make a whole lot of a difference in the conference tournament, but makes for some good talk here. I'm enjoying it. I'll tell you what, look at this guys.
0: Look at the away records. I'm going to just read these off
1: the away records of these Big East
0: teams. So Villanova's 13 and two at home, Marquette's 16 and two at home. Going right down Villanova five and six away from home. Marquette's actually six and three. Give him credit. Georgetown four and five, Xavier four and six, St John's four and six, Seton Hall three and eight, Creighton four and seven, Providence five and five. Butler three and seven. Uh, I'm sorry, two and eight and DePaul three and seven. I mean, every one of these teams is above five hundred, and every one of these teams has at least six wins in the Big East, all the way down to the last team in the league. And Marquette's the only team with a better than 500 record on the road. That's almost not believable. Yeah. Yes. um, That's
1: surprising. Does that, I mean, I know I just pulled it up.
0: Does that wrap up kind of the, the nature and the story behind this season as well as any stat you'll hear? My goodness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to what we were saying. There's so much parity right now in the Big East. All these teams are are very, very equal. You have two two teams that are clearly pulling ahead of the rest, but the rest of them are a mixed bag, really. You you know, you're going to get a different team in any given game. You know, some days St. John's is the best team uh, in the conference, and and sometimes they're playing like the worst team. So you just never know what you're going to get from one of these Big East teams, but a lot of parity so far this year.
0: All right, Kevin McLernan, wrap us up here. You got anything else before we get out of Dodge?
2: Well, I mean, we, we were talking about after St. John's, one of those couple of big games that we hope they – not hoped, but, I mean, they looked like a potential third team that would get in and two straight losses now, and they're they're shooting themselves in the foot. So this could be a, a two-team uh, bid. I mean, only two teams might get into the tournament. So, uh, I mean, rough down here, but like we're saying, there's, there's so many good teams that who knows – and who – I mean – Who's going to win this tournament? It could be anybody's game.
0: Yeah, and going forward this league, young talent, Mac McClung, Georgetown, St. John's, very, very strong team, backfilling with great talent. Villanova, extremely young, bringing in Dixon, Robinson, Earl, Antoine next year to go along with the freshmen that are being asked to contribute now and some of them that really aren't contributing that might be in the roster and on the floor a lot more next year. And this is a – I don't think it's a league that is down and out. You know, certainly there are financial implications that people talk about. I don't think it's going anywhere. And I think the league, you know, yes, is a little bit down. Listen, if DePaul and Butler were just 2-13 and teams right now in the league, you might have four or five teams get to the tournament. It's just what happens sometimes. But, Kevin, any final thoughts? Kevin Long?
1: Uh, I mean, I think we hit it a lot over the course of the show. Uh, it's going to make for some very interesting basketball here at the end of the day for for the Big East. Um, you know, this, this Villanova team is, is playing much better, but, you know, in some respects you want to see a third team in the Big East uh, make, the, make the tournament. So, uh, you know, it may be nice to see someone else get that automatic qualifier. Obviously, I'm looking for Villanova to take this tournament, but uh, you know, It would still be good to see a, a team and a program like St. John's hopefully uh, take that next step, make the tournament. Like you said, Villanova has a lot of young talent. This team is poised for the future. They were not prepared for this year to lose all those guys to the NBA, so uh, still promising future for this team and the rest of the conference.
0: Good to be back, guys. Enjoyed the show. Enjoyed the discussion. Hopefully all our listeners and viewers did as well. He's Kevin Long, Kevin McLernan's down there in Baltimore, and I'm Bob Long here saying so long from our Bluebell Studios, the Villanova Basketball Report here on BLS. We'll see everybody next week, and enjoy the basketball. Until then, keep your eyes peeled on Marquette, a Wednesday night tilt against Seton Hall, and then, of course, Villanova's game against those same Pirates on Saturday. Enjoy, and have a great evening.